This episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast is brought to you by Homebrew in Paradise. That's Homebrew in Paradise, your one-stop shop for all your beer, wine, cider, and fermented food-making needs. Mention the Blue Hawaii Podcast and get 10% off all starter kits and recipes. That's Homebrew in Paradise, 740 Mo'ova'a Street in Kalihikai. Blue Hawaii. Hey, Josh. Hey, Ryan. You, uh, you sound a little different this week. Yeah, I am a yeah. little different this week. <laughs> Do you mean so different that you're almost a completely different person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, I'm not the Josh that you know and love. Well, I'm the Josh well, that no, you, yeah, you, the one you yeah, know and love. But that but no one else knows and loves right. you. Yeah. <laughs> that makes your life sound so isolated. You're the only person that I've ever made happy. <laughs> uh, that That's true, though. That's true. You've done real good. Thanks. Uh well, we sound amazing, but mm-hmm. we are, uh, we're actually 5,000 5, miles apart, which is uh, roughly 88,000 Delta Sky Miles, uh, assuming one were to leave next week. Actually, I did the research. Um, and as many people have probably realized, you are not Josh Michaels. That is sadly correct. I'm Josh Cox. Let's do the drop. Yeah. We often hear Holly meaning white person in a negative connotation. But is a perfectly good word. It means foreign introduced of foreign origin or foreign introduction. So in Hawaiian, anyone or anything that is not native to Hawaii is haole. I'm Leilani Poli Ahu, Ahui Ho. Haole, haole, is a perfectly good word. Welcome to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. I'm Ryan Little. I'm Josh Cox. And we are your hosts today. As you've heard before, uh, just a moment ago, this is not Josh Michaels. Mr. Mr. Michaels is, uh, I believe, right now in Brisbane, Australia, Australia, uh, for his "That's Not a Vacation, This Is a Vacation" tour. Um, so today we have <laughs> it's a Crocodile Dundee reference. You get it? Yeah, it's good. Uh, so this week we have a dear friend of the show, uh, my oldest and most wonderful friend. Mr. Josh Cox, who is a Birmingham homer, a chandler, which means he makes candles, uh, and it's not a Friends reference, uh, at Great Bear Wax Company. He's a sound editor. He is uh, the third leg of the Blue Hawaii podcast stool. He does all of our mixing, all of our mastering, all of our editing, and he also has a podcast of his own called This Was a Mistake. Josh, thanks for being here. Well, hey, thanks for having me. (laughs) Uh, Now, Josh... You and I have been friends for 25 years. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds right. Round about. And over that time frame, we've had many adventures, uh, including um, living in Auburn, Alabama, War Eagle. War Eagle. And now we've lived apart for quite some time. And you've moved to Birmingham, which mm-hmm. uh, let's talk a little bit about that. For, for those of you in Hawaii who aren't really familiar with Birmingham, um, it's been famous, like most of Alabama, for its racism for quite some time. There was the Birmingham bombing in 63. Dr. Martin Luther King wrote his letter from a Birmingham jail. Um, you've got the atrocities of the civil rights era, including um, then-Sheriff Bull Connor's quote, damn the law, down here we make our own law. Um, but that's really started a change over the past 10 years. So Birmingham's become really quite a progressive city. Um, Randall Woodfin... Uh, who is a young pseudo-democratic socialist, has uh, been elected mayor, proclaimed Birmingham a, quote, welcoming city for undocumented immigrants, meaning a sanctuary city. Josh, I mean, obviously Birmingham is an island of blue and a sea of red, but, I mean, tell me, tell people out there who aren't familiar with it a little bit about the personality of Birmingham. What's it like living there? What are the people like? What, you know, what what's the vibe there? Birmingham is the biggest city in Alabama. It's a uh, pretty progressive. The art scene, creative scene is very much budding right now. It's uh, growing, which is amazing. We have the most green space of any city of our like, equivalent size in North America. So a lot of outdoor activities. Um, there's forests, parks, rivers, lakes, all that sort of thing. We're known for our food and bev scene. That's true. It's a... Uh, we're nationally recognized. We eat well in Alabama. Yeah. Several publications have called Birmingham a top 10 food city in America. 
So I think that's pretty good. Didn't uh, wasn't there like didn't one of the restaurants there win like a really big award this year? Yeah, for food. Mm-hmm. What, what was that? Highlands Bar and Grill won uh, James Beard Award for most outstanding restaurant in America. Okay. Oh, I've been there before. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the best in America, <laughs> according to those people. Also, Birmingham isn't racist. You talk about Alabama a lot, and it's never good, and it's always just that it's racist. Well, I mean, we are pretty racist down there. There are racist people everywhere in this country. But, like, there's a high concentration of them in Alabama, I feel like. there's a higher. I think there's a higher concentration of non-racist people here. You think so? One, oh, 1,000%, of course, yes. Why do we see the outcomes that we keep seeing, if that's true, like in statewide elections? Because old people vote. That's an interesting point. Um, actually, I, th- I think I heard sometime in the last few weeks that millennials have officially become the largest voting block in the United States, but that only 23% of them say that they are very sure they will vote in the next election Whereas something like, you know, 70% of baby boomers say they're going to vote. Yeah, it's pretty sad. But all that said, um, Birmingham did elect Randall Woodfin, right? Yeah, he's he's our mayor. He's our mayor, dude. Um, how's that? How has that been going? Have you noticed a lot of change? I mean, it's, there's a lot of excitement. Uh, he was endorsed by Bernie Sanders. Um, and there was a ton of excitement surrounding his nomination and election. Do you, have you, do you feel like that sort of panned out? Yeah, I feel like with the last mayor and before Randall Woodfin took over, there was a huge lack of trust in the government um, locally. And I feel like he's done a really good job of turning things around and giving us, at the very least, hope and regaining some of that trust. People have seen him actually do positive things and things that he said that he would do, which is pretty great. So you mentioned Birmingham is... uh, known for growth i i saw that recently barons magazine called birmingham uh quote the southern silicon valley um have you noticed like a tech scene developing there oh yeah it's it's growing for sure yeah like what is there any big companies or anything like that shipped is based here it's a that's a pretty big one is that the one that target bought yeah like a six months ago or so yeah yeah i remember seeing there's like 500 million yeah yeah like six six months to a year ago or so um, and that's just one of the tech startups that have popped up here recently. The scene is definitely growing. Birmingham is still trying to define itself industrially. It, um, what do you mean by that? So Birmingham was the steel city. It was also called Pittsburgh of the South. Um, it was a big steel manufacturing city. That's right. And since that industry died here, at least, um, it has been just clawing and trying to figure out exactly how to make its residents stay here essentially yeah so it's uh it's very open to growth in pretty much any any industry any any market um because yeah we're just trying to make it a city that people a want to live in and b can afford to yeah it's like the easiest way to have people live somewhere is make it a place that people can live right yeah have a job market and yeah make it affordable Um, I've been to Birmingham several times and I've always found it to be um I've I've always found it to be a place that is constantly on the forefront of things in the southern United States maybe maybe not nationally but if that could change I mean that'd be amazing because like like you said it's it's about how to make people a life here or there it's about how to make people a life there and um you know we struggle with that same problem in Honolulu I mean for a long time we've had sort of cash cow based economies we had like the sugar plantations we had uh pineapple and and all sorts of other um plantation based economic drivers and when that pulled out whenever that collapsed it's sort of been like well then what do we go to now and then we'll we'll you know take money from the military and build up military bases and then oh we'll take money from the tourism industry and build up a tourism industry and then like the whole thing, the whole, the whole problem was that in my, in my opinion, looking retroactively and obviously, or looking retrospectively, excuse me, in hindsight's 2020 is like, everybody wants to find that one thing that you can sort of hang your hat on and and make the easy money. But those, those times are gone and, uh, you can't afford to do that anymore. You've got to, you've got to be dynamic. You've got to be flexible. You've got to be multifaceted. It's cool to see Birmingham's 
on the on the front edge of that, at least for Alabama, huh? Yeah, I think for too long we all try to hang our hat yeah. on one thing and we're figuring it out slowly. Also, let's talk about, you know, the emergence of the, the maker scene in Birmingham, uh, something that you're a part of. What can you, for those of us who in Hawaii who are not familiar with it, because we don't really have a big maker scene out here, would you mind describing a little bit about what that is and and sort of what the drive behind it is? Yeah, so the maker scene is similar or I'd say it's akin to like a DIY scene. It's it's people doing things and making things themselves by hand. Um, it's like a small business or even just as a hobby. Uh, leather goods, candles, stationery, those are probably the most popular three um, in like the maker scene. I think it boils down to it being a way to make money while also be satisfied and enjoy the work that you're doing. I think a lot of people in our generation saw their parents uh, maybe not love their their job too much. And I think that is a big motivator for the maker scene, honestly. I think it's a, it's a, it's a way to be your own boss and do the things that you love while also hopefully being able to support yourself. And I think it's a lot easier to do down here, a lot easier than it would be in Hawaii because it it's a lot cheaper to live here, honestly. So that's probably why it's not like a growing movement out there. All right. And then uh, you mentioned a lot of artists. Um, the art scene has emerged, and, and I know because we've been best friends forever that uh, – Part of that is something called the Loft Show um, that you particularly created. Would you tell our listeners about the Loft Show? Yeah, so the Loft Show is a it's an event that I co-created with a friend here in Birmingham. It's on the last Friday of every month, and it's essentially just a an art show. We uh, will have visual artists and musicians and bands and comedians. We've had. Uh, pop-up shops with like different makers and um, bakers and yeah we just want to be super inclusive of this growing art scene here and uh, it's it's just a way to give them a platform also um, it, it's I mean it's had a lot of success right because you started it I mean it's called the loft show uh, because it was actually the first like year of shows was literally held in your loft apartment right yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. It I've gone to a few of them, and they're awesome. Like, the, I haven't gone to ones at the new venue, but uh, the ones in the loft were actually awesome. It was so weird because it's like, you know, for people here, just picture like an old industrial building that's you know been all turned into loft apartments. Like, it's you know pretty nondescript and like similar to what you'd see in any other industrial city, except like. You know, once a month on Friday nights, there's a line of a hundred people standing outside the door right. waiting to get in. It's like, it's it's one of the weirdest things, and then people just loved it. I mean, like, I every time I've gone, people are really into it and are having a great time, and there's a really good crowd. I mean, you're fitting like a hundred plus people in your living room yeah. to watch these shows, and so you outgrew that, and then you're now at a place called Make BHM, right? Yeah, Make BHM. And it's that is the make is an illusion, as I understand it, is an illusion to um, the it's like a maker collaborative space. Isn't, isn't that right? Yeah. So it's basically one building and they rent out space to different artists and makers. And they also have different equipment for those people to use. That's super cool. Yeah. And they're really good people. Um, so you guys outgrew your space and now you're there. And then, um, yeah, we've been there for about six months and it's really given us a chance to try new things and grow and I don't know, explore options that we couldn't and inside a loft now that we have like a, a whole building to work with, we can do more and involve more people because there are a lot of artists and creatives here in Birmingham. There's also a very supportive community here and I think that goes back to the, um, the growth People are eager to support new things, which is uh, very cool to see. You know, you mentioned it earlier that um, that Birmingham 
is like this urban city mm-hmm. and it's kind of the only urban city in Alabama. So like if you go to college in Alabama and you don't want to go out of state, you know, if you want to stay like in state when you graduate, you really only have a few options for cities that are hiring. And if you want to go to a place where there's some like actual feel of it being like an urban city, Birmingham's really your only option. And so like what you have is you have a state of 5 million people um, that, you know, if you're young and you want to have a city life, you really only have the one place to go. So it's like Birmingham is a small city and relative to, you know, like New York or LA, but it has like all these big city amenities because like that's where all the people with money and ideas live. And so it's kind of this weird it's kind of this weird like dichotomy between um, the the conservative culture in the suburbs and the actually really liberal progressive culture in the city proper itself, which is like where you live. It's a place that that it wouldn't be hard to live in. I feel like. Yeah, I love Birmingham. It's um, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else right now. It's a it's a very good combination of all the things that I want with it being affordable and the people in the community here there's enough to do um socially and just outside it's it's pretty great all right so before we hop in the news one last thing just so we're getting people we're getting people acquainted with you they want to know who you are uh, who's the strange man in their ear holes tell us about this was a mistake the podcast this was a mistake is a podcast that two friends and i started we're about 12 or 13 episodes in um we have guests on every show much like yours and we talk to them about who they are what they do and mistakes that they've made and how those mistakes helped shape them well so like you you chose a very deliberate topic right like you chose the idea of something being a mistake or talking about mistakes or talking about times that we like didn't come out on top like what was the impetus for that topic in particular yeah, we, we wanted to choose a topic that was very relatable. Um, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has had those days. Everybody has failed. And we want to make that less taboo to talk about and really explore that and show people that we're, we're all the same. We're all just trying to make it. Well, have you had any uh, you know notable guests on This Was a Mistake that you thought the episodes were particularly good? Yeah, I think they're all pretty good. But for you Hawaii folk, I would recommend episode 11 with your own <gasps> Ryan Little. Oh my God. Yeah, and wow. your your wife, Jordan Little. Not Hawaii's wife, but my no. particular wife. Well, well, some would call her the wife of Hawaii. Okay. <laughs> but that, maybe not. All right, all right. What episode were we on? You were episode 11. Well, episode 11, this was a mistake podcast. Everyone should go check it out. Uh, can they listen on iTunes? Yeah, iTunes, Spotify, um, Stitcher, Google Play, pretty much anywhere. I'm a little salty that you're on Spotify before we are. You should and be. I'm not 100% sure how to fix that, but I, I just know ahead of time that I'm very impressed. Thanks. Yeah, yeah we're doing it right. Um, all right. Well, now that we've gotten to know you, let's take a little bit of a break. We'll come right back and we'll talk a little bitty bit about the news. Uh, this is Blue White Podcast. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Welcome back to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. I'm Ryan Little. Sitting in with me today is a dear friend of the show, third leg of the stool, so to speak, Mr. Josh Cox. Hello. Let's talk a little bit about the news this week. Let's do it. Uh, so nothing newsworthy really happened at all. Nope, slow, slow Just news kidding. Oh. Yeah, Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, Brett on again, off again, Virgin Kavanaugh, uh, really made love to the dog this week from the New York Times, referring to uh, allegations of sexual assault, uh, including trying to hold down a woman while covering her mouth as she screamed as they tried to rip her clothes off her. Uh, Judge Kavanaugh, who adamantly denied the claims against him, at times crafted responses that were misleading, disputed, or off point, our fact check found. Surprising. Just say that man lied. Right? Just say he lied. Yeah. What what I really hate is going into this, we all knew that it it unfortunately wasn't going to go anywhere. Like Democrats were going to stay where they were and the Republicans were going to stay exactly where they were. Like, yeah, because of the split on the judicial judicial committee, it was going to 
come yep. out the way that it did, and that's just how it is because and that's what happened. Republicans yep. just don't give a shit about women. That's. I think we could just call this show "Republicans Don't Give a Shit About Women" and then parentheses and other minorities. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, Lindsey Graham got real angry. Uh, he kind of reminds me of Mr. Potato Head. Like he, like his outrage was like so. Like it felt just like so inauthentic. It, it was like the you were in Toy Story. He was like, "These are my angry eyes." Yeah, <laughs> that that was Lindsey Graham in that hearing for me. Yeah, it was, it um, was not great. I don't understand why or how anybody can take him seriously after at one point in uh, during the 2016 campaign calling Donald Trump uh, a religious nut job and a xenophobic bigot, and then now he's like his BFF. Uh, my personal opinion is that he's only cooperating with Trump because he's being blackmailed. But oh yeah, that's all I'll say about that. Huh. Also, the way that Brett Kavanaugh acted the entire time was just like reactive. I don't know. It just wasn't what you would want from someone who you're voting on to be on the Supreme Court for their entire life and to judge things fairly. No, dude. And not emotionally. No. Yeah, no, he was actually, he was known uh, as an advocate when he was just an attorney. He wasn't appointed to the bench yet. He was known as a guy who, I think the quote I saw was, would disassemble in the courtroom. Basically, if things didn't go his way, he would just come apart. And it's like, well, why was he ever nominated to the federal bench? And the answer is because, as he said many, many times in his hearing, uh, he went to Georgetown Prep, an elite boys' school, and he got into Yale Law. It's like that's why. Like you, he had no, you know, he did. He had probably an okay test score, and he had a lot of connections from going to an elite private school. The guy's like he's been handed everything his entire life, and now he thinks he's supposed to be handed the Supreme Court seat. Right. And did you see that this week the uh, American Bar Association uh, they didn't rescind, but after giving him such glowing reviews, which the Republicans really hung their hat on. Yeah. They, the American bar, the ABA came out and said that they fully supported the FBI investigation into these claims. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got to like, and you have to honor that. I mean, the ABA is a very cautious, slow moving organization for them to come out in a very forceful way and and repudiate something that they've previously said. it, It makes a big, big statement in my mind. Yeah. For sure. Also in the news this week, public service student loan forgiveness is at a 99 plus percent rejection rate. Um, So Forbes is reporting that more than 33,000 applications were made for student loan forgiveness on the basis of working in a public service job for 10 years, uh, including a number of them by law students and med students and people who are really, you know, trying to get out of the weight of crushing debt that's, you know, literally destroying their quality of life. Um, out of 33,000 loan applications, only 97 were approved. Only 97 were approved. Dang. Uh, in Forbes, uh, the article talking about this was written by a guy named Zach Friedman. He's a senior contributor at Forbes and the CEO of a personal finance company called Make Lemonade, which seems pretty credible. But then, just five days later, that would be today, Forbes changed their tune with an article called, quote, Everyone Calm Down About Rejected Student Loan Forgiveness Applications. Uh, but this one was written by a guy named Preston Cooper, who, according to his bio, is, quote, a research analyst in the education policy department at the American Enterprise Institute. For those of you at home who aren't familiar with the American Enterprise Institute, it is a lobbying and speciously called think tank arm of Republican megadonors Charles and David Koch. Cool. So basically, it's all BS. They screw you at every step of the way, and they're now pissing on people and telling them it's raining. The Republican way. <laughs> um, also, for a little bit of local news, according to uh, Manolo Morales of KHON2, uh, unless the city can come up with $44 million by October 21st uh, to fund the rail project, it could lose more than $700 million in funding that's being withheld by the Federal Transit Authority. Um, that's not good. Yeah, that, that'd be a big loss. All right. And then, uh, Josh, do you have any other uh, national, global news that you'd like to bring up? Yeah. Did you see that Trump said that he and Kim Jong-un fell in love over <laughs> they, letters sent back and forth? They seem like a real match made in heaven. Couple of the years. It's, it's actually pretty romantic. Um, yeah. I, you know, 
I wouldn't have. If we don't at least get a rom-com out of this situation, I don't know <laughs> what we're doing. How is how have Matt Parker and Trey Stone not already hopped on this? Like, true. This just seems so perfect. This is like this is a season's worth of South Park storylines. Oh, at the very least. All right, now we're gonna do a quick check-in with Mr. Josh Michaels, the co-host of this show, who is on assignment in Australia. Ex co-host uh, just took his job. <laughs> I'm the, You're new, the Josh. new Josh, the former co-host of this show. Uh, he, you know, he tried to replace me with a kangaroo via social media the other day. He didn't even tell me I was fired. He just posted yeah. about it. Makes sense. Um, at least I'm giving him some form of like notice. No, I'm not. At least I'm. <laughs> it, it, good luck recording the show without all the equipment, Josh. Um, so let's do a quick check in with Josh and Antoinette. See what's going on in Australia, and we'll be right back here in a minute on the Blue Hawaii podcast. Blue Hawaii. Welcome to a very special edition of the Blue Hawaii podcast, also known as the Blue Hawaii Spouse Cast, now known as the Blue Hawaii Aussie Cast. I'm Josh Michaels coming to you on Sunday evening, uh, about 6 p.m. from Brisbane, Australia. Uh, and I have a new special guest with me. My name is Lil Rue. I've been tapped to be the new co host of the Blue Hawaii podcast. And uh, I know that some people have said that. My hands look like they're too small to handle the equipment, but uh, suck it, Ryan Little. I'm handling it just fine. Yeah. Uh, that's the sound of my new co-host, uh, Lil Rue, also known as Antoinette Lily. But uh, just for those of you who didn't think I was serious about interviewing the kangaroos in that video. Um, so it's 6 p.m. Sunday night, Australia time, which means it's about 10 p.m. Saturday night, Hawaii time. Um, so far, what are your impressions of Australia? Oh, I dropped I dropped the bad you, Australian accent. You can now? drop the accent. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it was a little it was a little South African actually. Uh, spoiler alert! Yeah. It's not actually Little Rue. It is still Josh's wife. Oh, <laughs> the fan favorite crowd pleaser herself. So I would describe uh, Australia. Uh, you take all the things that people love about the UK. Uh, take all the things that people love about California. Uh, put them in a blender. Add a soupçon of colonial genocide, et voila. But you know, one thing I have to give Australia credit for, they acknowledge their genocide. And that's something that, you know, America and even Hawaii in some ways uh, could learn from. You know, there's interesting, uh, we, were, we, we drove up from Sydney to Brisbane, uh, about an eight hour drive, and on the radio, um, we heard a couple of people mention there's an ongoing debate uh, whether to change the date of Australia Day, you know, the national day uh, commemorating, well, it's a it's a national patriotic celebration like our 4th of July, but the date marks uh, January 26th, which was Captain Cook's arrival in Sydney Harbor. And we're all too familiar in Hawaii with Captain Cook. Um, you know, and the, the debate here is, should they change the date to better honor Aboriginal Australians who understandably have mixed feelings about the date of arrival? Um, it reminds us of the debate over Columbus Day slash Discoverer's Day slash Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, and, you know, Tony, as, a, as an Italian-American, you feel particularly passionate about a Columbus Day. Is that right? <laughs> I feel particularly passionate about, uh, I don't know, disowning the members of my Italian brethren <laughs> who march in the streets hey, saying, save Columbus Day. You know what? You, you disrespect. <laughs> don't disrespect my culture. <laughs> Okay. Okay, that was about as that was, my Australian yeah. accent. Hey, you That's, know. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Before no more Josh accents. completely mocks uh, yeah. the beautiful culture of Italia. Italia. Uh, no, I mean, I I get where they're coming from. Although I will say, you know, I think, I think that uh, you know, we are handling. It's a, it's a little different because Columbus Day in itself is problematic, right? It's not July 4th. Columbus Day recognized... Right, it's explicitly like, 1492, this dude showed up, and like, everybody who was here before, eh, footnote, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, I, I get what they're having a little bit of a conundrum about with whether to move the day or change the day, because it makes sense that, you know... Like Australia Day, that you have a big patriotic celebration yeah. and everything. It makes sense for the country, but I get that the the optics aren't good. Right. I mean, one of the, one of the guys, I think he made the point like, 
the, the arrival in and, itself, in and of itself wasn't the worst thing. It was the 100 plus years of awful, well, 150 plus years of awful policies that followed, which are really what we should be uh, condemning. But, you know, it's kind of hard to separate those two things. Yeah. Something really interesting that we've learned since coming to Australia is that Captain Cook was like a working class lad from the streets of London, was no, it? No, from, uh, he was a farmhand from Yorkshire, from rural, from the countryside. Correction, he yes. was from somewhere in England. And obviously in Hawaii, you know, <laughs> Hawaii we understand, you know, in the rest of the Pacific we understand uh, the problematic legacy of Captain Cook. But it's, it is remarkable in and of itself that a farm boy from Yorkshire did more to shape the modern geography and situation of the Pacific than any other human who's ever lived. It's wild. Colonialism is wild. Yeah, um, and, and it's and it seems like everyone after Captain Cook was far more p- problematic and did far more to expand on the harmful aspects of his legacy as opposed to the slightly less problematic aspects yeah. of his legacy. Like, for example, he had one quote about liking the Aboriginal people. That's more than you can say for the British when they uh-huh. came over and sent all their penal colonies here, right? Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of problematic men whose news we cannot escape. Brett Kavanaugh, uh, headlining every single Australian morning show, uh, more, you know, more than Australian news itself, they're following the confirmation here. Um, his, the hissy fit he had at his confirmation hearing, uh, where if any woman had acted, you know, 10% as outraged as he did, she would be immediately condemned, you know, unfit for the job. This is why women, blah, 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 blah. Um, it's all, it's just absolutely bananas. Um, he's probably still going to get confirmed anyway. Um, but we were watching this morning and they had on, on Good Morning Australia, they had, uh, former first lady, Rosalind Carter, her, one of her press aides or press secretaries, which I guess like they are just looking for anybody in Australia who can talk about American politics. I'm sorry, sir. You uh, you visited DC before. Would you come comment on yes, our of on our political coverage? <laughs> well, anyway, this this lady, uh, this lady, um, you know, and this is definitely a generational thing in her outlook. But her, what she kept coming back to is, she said she was so concerned about you know what's happening to due process in America, and you know, is all the men in America are going to be afraid? You know, we. And she was very indignant. She was very self-righteous. This is not the America that I grew up we have, in. Yeah, we have principles of innocent until proven guilty. And, uh, you know, Tony, as a, as a, as a criminal lawyer, and okay. as a, you, you summed this up best. Tell, tell, explain, explain to us why this, uh, this line of thinking is so uh, misinformed and harmful. Well, it's... It's the idea of, oh, we're losing due process because someone's been called out for their bad behavior. Like, I'm sorry, due process has nothing to do with your reputation in the public market. That's why we have defamation laws. Yeah, this is a job interview. This is not a criminal trial. Exactly. So due process comes into play when someone's literally taking your liberty away, yeah. when they're throwing you in jail, when you cannot leave. I'm sorry, did anyone actually threaten Brett Kavanaugh with getting thrown in jail? No. I'm pretty sure. Does Brett Kavanaugh still have life tenure on the D.C. Court of Appeals or wherever he serves? Like, which I'm pretty sure doesn't get taken away even if he gets convicted of a federal crime and thrown in lockup. But who knows? I don't know. Someone fact check me on that. Uh, well, anyway, um, we'll, let, we'll let Ryan and the people actually still in the United States talk more about this. What we'd like to talk about is apparently we showed up in Australia during... Uh, You've heard of Super Bowl weekend. This apparently uh, double Super Bowl weekend. So Saturday, basically uh, grand final weekend, Saturday, they play the championship for Australian rules football, which uh, looks like looks to us, to the untrained eye, like a cross between rugby and basketball. Uh, Honestly, makes far more sense than American football because... Or cricket. Cricket is the other thing on TV, and that makes no damn sense. Well, I was just talking about, like, you know, they actually use their feet a lot more in Australian football. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then tonight, Sunday night, we're about to go out and watch. uh, It's the final of the National Rugby League. And there's one question that's been on everyone's mind. Gripping the whole of Australia, every station we've turned on, radio, TV, (laughs) newspaper, everything, every bar, every restaurant... They're asking the question on everybody's lips. A nation waits on bated breath. Will Cooper Cronk be fit? Cooper Cronk, halfback for the Sydney Roosters, faces a crucial injury test. He may be facing rotator cuff damage, but 
This is the last game of the year. Will he put it all on the line? Will he be fit? Guys, this is the most sports coverage. This is the most familiar I've ever been with an athlete's injury in my life. Yeah. Every single radio station, every single TV station, everyone yeah. is speculating yep. about whether Cooper Cronk will recover from this shoulder injury. It's pretty serious. He wasn't playing with the main team they even said, during their initial practice on Friday. They sent drone like... <laughs> The, the 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 speculation over this to give you an idea um sydney roosters had a training session this some people were sending drones and helicopters over and the sight of cooper cronk uh, standing and chatting with the assistants and not taking part in practice with his teammates uh, is currently the biggest speculation we have right now that's informing the chances are we'll find out in about an hour and a half or so but he's looking like he will not play um but anyway, Sydney Roosters versus Melbourne Storm. If this goes well, uh, maybe we'll start talking about rugby way more on the podcast. Um, uh, no, probably not. Probably not. One delightful... Uh, <laughs> uh, so we talked about Australian rules football. We've talked about uh, sexism and the patriarchy. Um, the, high, the, the big story, you know, yesterday, Australian rules football. Uh, West Coast Eagles defeat Collingwood Magpies 79-74. But uh, the bigger news... Uh, a crusty old man named Mick Malthouse, who is, I guess, a big deal in the coaching community of AFL football, um, he was at a panel uh, that featured um, Moana Hope, an AFL women's player, uh, and she left the panel in disgust after his comments, uh, talking about how AFL is a man's game, and his concern that you know, the rules need to be changed. You know, the women shouldn't be tackling. The women shouldn't be hard bumping. That's an actual quote, hard bumping, no hard bumping. No hard bumping in the sport that is based entirely on hard bumping. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's like if someone said... I. I don't even know. What, yeah. What's a comparison? I'm not a sports person. No, it's like the like. Remember, like Billy Jean King and Bobby Riggs, like the the just paternalistic bullshit to the max. Like this is kind of it, right? It's like if someone said no dribbling in basketball. Yeah. Well, women. I mean, women women with their tiny hands. You know, they probably shouldn't be dribbling. They're tiny don't... weak hands that should really be used for. Never mind. We'll stop. Well, no. I mean, the it's it's very paternalistic. It's he's he was talking about uh, you know he has granddaughters and they're wondering you know they don't want to play Aussie football because they could get injured. So why don't we just change the rules to make it so they can't get injured? <sighs> and it's like, dude, you know, if someone wants to play Aussie rules football or any sort of contact sport. They know what they're signing up for. Let yeah. the girls go play. Let them get injured if they want to. We're not just baby machines. Hashtag feminism. We're not. Hashtag feminism. Let them play. We're not just baby machines. And include them in the draft. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, so convenient for you to say now that you've aged out of the... Uh... Oh, that's true. I have that. Sometimes hey, I forget what well, age I am. Hey, you can take my selected service <laughs> card if you want. Um, one last Australia story. Uh, the... You know, to the extent that the news hasn't been talking about um, Cooper Cronk's shoulder or Brett Kavanaugh's sexual abuse, um, there's drama at the Australian Broadcasting Company um, or Australia Broadcasting Corporation, which is similar to the, Brit uh, the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC, unlike in America. Um, you know, yes, we have taxpayer-funded media. We have PBS, that sort of thing. But this is really a... a it plays a much bigger role in national life than PBS does. Um, it's independent from the government in terms of oversight, normally, which is how it's you know how it can function as an independent news source, even though it gets taxpayer funds. And uh, former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, you may remember him because uh, he had the phone call with Trump, and Trump said, "This is the worst call I've ever had," uh, because you know something about refugees, basically, like Turnbull was like, hey, we have a deal, like, you have to take these refugees, and Trump's like, no, no deal, no refugees, and Turnbull was like, well, that's not how this works, and Donald <laughs> Trump threw a hissy fit. Um, anyway, he was forced out of the government, and it's coming out uh, that the board chairman of the ABC had to resign amid accusations that he demanded the sacking of journalists on Prime Minister Turnbull's behalf. Um, Anytime, essentially, that they didn't like the news or that it was hashtag fake news. That being said, uh, it appears that the situation is slightly more nuanced because, you know, uh, I guess the issue was 
they had two reporters who actually did report factually incorrect news, and that's been independently verified. Yeah. So it's a little less um, partisan politics and a and a. Well, I'm sure partisan politics came into it, but also it was an inaccuracy issue. Right. So I guess Malcolm Turnbull was complaining about these guys being inaccurate. And where the whole thing went sideways was when Justin Milne was like, well, now I'm going to recommend that these people get fired. Justin Milne, the ABC chairman. Yes, exactly. So anyway, you know, uh, whenever you think about all the, the hoopla over Donald Trump and fake news and calling out CNN and Fox News essentially being American state TV, creating a feedback loop of propaganda, uh... Just remember, there are other methods out there, and there also seems to be, uh, uh, in the rest of the Anglosphere at least, some sort of accountability for when politics and media clash and go haywire. But we'll never know, I guess. We'll never know. Um, Ironically, Australia's uh, richest son, I believe, right now, is one Rupert Murdoch. Oh my goodness. Who is single- his family's portrait yeah. is up in the uh, Australian Museum. He's single-handedly responsible, probably more than anybody else since Ronald Reagan is dead, uh, for the current uh, nightmare that the English-speaking world is living through in terms of its media. Um, so good on you, mate. Um, yeah, thanks a lot, Aussies. <laughs> Rupert, you silly, no, you silly bollocks. <laughs> Good catch. Yeah. Uh, uh, listeners, if you're wondering what my husband just censored himself from saying, watch an episode of the Jim yeah, Jeffries show. No matter, sometime. you know what? I, I, Jim Jeffries lied to me because he led me to believe that. Uh, There's a certain a certain phrase. vulgarity gets tossed around with much more abandon here than it does. And, and, and we have yet to hear it once. No, not a single person. But we are going to a sports bar tonight, so maybe yes. that'll change. Yes, we're going to watch the rugby. We'll let you know uh, if Cooper Cronk passes his fitness test. And if someone says silly, <laughs> can't say the word on um, think, uh, American podcasts. No, we cannot. Uh, until then, uh, Miss Lily, aka, what was your kangaroo name again? Uh, Lil Root. Lil Root. Any other stories you'd like to share? No, I'd just like to say that I'm really thankful to be coming on board and... Uh, Really excited to be replacing that uh, Git right oh, little. Magnifico. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, uh, thank you for bearing with my terrible Australian accent, oh, everyone. <laughs> anytime, anytime. On behalf, on behalf of our listeners, it's our pleasure. It would have been much more terrible a few days ago. <laughs> We've been practicing osmosis. Um, we will have another dispatch from you soon as we continue our trip. Uh, we're going to be hopping across the ocean. Not super far. We're going to be landing in Auckland shortly in a few days. Uh, and we'll have another dispatch from New Zealand. We call that the Blue Hawaii Kiwi Cast. Uh, but until then, thank you again for listening. Um, that's it. That's it. And enjoy the rest of the show. Waltzing Matilda. Waltzing Matilda. Nope. Uh, nope. Nothing. Nope. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Shout outs. Shout outs. Uh, shout outs. So... First shout out of the week is going to the UH Rainbows football program for their five overtime victory versus San Jose State. Uh, they are five and one for the first time in forever. Uh, we're on top of the Mountain West, and we've got Nevada coming in this week, which means if we win, we might actually get to go to our own bowl game. Secondly, shout out to all the women in the U.S. We'll, we'll just stop there for a second. Yes, shout out to all the women in the U.S. All right. But also, shout out to all the women in the U.S. who had their stories questioned this week by the Republicans on the quote-unquote hearing committee. Yeah, the the whole thing sort of just devolved into like this like class warfare, partisan shouting match. And it, it was never going to be impartial on the right. You talked about that earlier. They, they don't really want a true Supreme Court justice. They want someone who's going to do what the, the donors tell them to do. And they've got that in Kavanaugh. So, um, yeah, and we knew... We knew that whenever they they didn't allow any witnesses other than Dr. Ford and Kavanaugh, that it was just going to be uh, he said, she said, and who who are you going to trust, this woman or this this great white man? This good white Christian man. Exactly. Well, all that to say, folks, that the the demonstrations, the phone calls, the emails, the letters, all of it's working. Call your senators. Don't take your foot off the gas. I mean, we've got to keep pushing for this guy's nomination to be withdrawn. Yeah, maybe we can put, like, 
age or time limits on Supreme Court judges. That wouldn't be a bad idea. Shout out to House Republicans who are nothing, if not consistent. They passed a $3.8 trillion tax cut bill this week under the cover of Kavanaugh's hearing. Uh, that's triple the size of the tax cut bill that was passed and rammed through in December. Um, what a joke. It probably will not get picked up in the Senate because that would look awful for them right before the election. Also, I think this is really just a smokescreen to try to draw the public's attention away from the Kavanaugh hearing. It's like, let's put out something that's like a crazy, audacious, never going to happen number. And then, you know, we'll see if we can get people to sort of look over here while we ram the Kavanaugh thing through. Right. So here's the last question. We asked this to everybody on the show. We want your favorite restaurant recommendation. If I'm ever in Birmingham, I mean, I've been there several times. If, if anybody on this show is ever in Birmingham for any reason, where should they go eat? Hmm. My favorite place to eat in Birmingham is a place called The Garage. It is a cash-only dive bar um, that serves the best sandwiches you'll find. They're just so delicious. They are very good sandwiches. So great. And their back patio is the perfect place to sit most of the time of the year. If it's winter, they've got a fire. If not, it's... All right. Perfect. It's just amazing. What uh, what sandwich do you get? I do a classic ham, cheddar, uh, lettuce, tomato, onion, uh, a little bit of yellow mustard on a two slices of regular white bread, and I get them to toast it to where it's perfect. It sounds like a very normal sandwich, but it's it tastes so much better whenever they make it. It's weird how, like, it doesn't even matter, like, what the dish is. I feel like if somebody else makes it for you, it just tastes so good. Yeah, it's, I don't I don't know what it is either. It's, it's pretty marvelous. <laughs> well? What, what about you? What's your food, Rick, for the people? In Birmingham? Yeah, in Birmingham. If I'm in Birmingham, I am going to go... So I'm I'm a big fan of uh of the meat and three the classic meat and three, and uh, my favorite place is a place that that you took me, out of this world amazing good and it's called Johnny's it's in the Homewood neighborhood of Birmingham which is like this little little village feel um you know a couple of coffee shops some good restaurants a few bars and Johnny's just it serves like this phenomenal meat and three I mean you can go in there. The, the thing that I remember loving was like something I don't normally like that much, which was fried catfish. Mm-hmm. Like their catfish was amazing. And like, I'm not a person that gets catfish. Like that is, that's a little, a little redneck for me. And I, you know, I've, and it, I mean, it is like, it's perfect. So go to Johnny's, get the catfish. It's, it's all so good. You literally can't go wrong there. I've had probably 90% of the menu and have not regretted a second of it they make divine i mean just amazing food also i really like the garage too we've gone there um i also i really like highlands the highlands bar and grill is really really good um yeah expensive but amazing yeah if you want to if you're in birmingham for one night only and you want to know like what is the best version of southern food around i recommend highlands but it's not it's not cheap but worth every penny well josh you've also been to honolulu uh, you came back in 2015 for my law school graduation. Um, you were here a couple of weeks. What was your favorite restaurant? Uh, well, one that I loved that you have talked about on here quite a bit was Dagon. I freaking love that place. Yeah, it's so great. Um, but I am not going to recommend that one. I have a giant sweet tooth, yeah. so I'd recommend Leonard's Bakery. That's a solid, solid. You just get all of it. <laughs> get all the malasadas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, every single one. Yeah. Uh, Leonard's Bakery, Hawaii Institution, Kapalua Avenue. If you haven't been there, what the hell are you doing with your life? Um, it's it's fantastic. Oh, uh, wait till next time you come back. Somebody just introduced me to these things called mochi donuts. Damn. They're going to blow your freaking mind. Sounds great. Uh, it's like a regular donut, but a little chewier, and it preserves the sweetness without it being overpowering. I mean, it's like, it's like the perfect donut. What's your Hawaii food rec, Ryan? All right, my shout out this week is for Imanaste. It is a sushi restaurant which is conveniently located 
almost right across the street from Dagon on King Street. Um, went in there this week for my birthday, which was Thursday. Went in there and got uh, happy the happy sashimi. birthday. Thank you, thank you. About time somebody said it. Um, it was uh, really good. We got the sashimi for two. It was like sixty bucks, and we were both pretty full whenever we left. So I would I would recommend it. My favorite sushi place is still probably Mitch's. I just think their the quality of their fish is unparalleled. But if you want something where you can get a fair amount of sushi um, and get out of there for a reasonable price, because Mitch's is on the pricey side, I highly recommend Imanaste on uh, on King Street. So nice. With that said, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts? Any final thoughts to share with the listeners this week? Yeah, I would say give the South a chance. Um, it it obviously has a bad rap for a reason, um, because of its history. But time times are changing. There's there's new blood in town. We're we're trying to figure it out, and we're I think we're we're not as bad as people think we still are. I think you nailed it. I mean, like for you know we talked about it. Was it last week? We talked about with uh, America's reluctance to own the South, um, because if you know, if the South is this bad thing, this like boogeyman, um, and it's everything that you are, like everything that's bad about you, everything that is bad in America, then it creates all this room for people to represent themselves as everything that's good, every the other regions of the country. And I think we definitely see that in the South because like you can say we're as backward as you want, but like Pennsylvania voted for Trump. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, like Michigan went for Trump. Which is, you know, I know people aren't looking at them and going, oh, this is like the most progressive places in the country. But problems of bigotry and small mindedness and uh, prejudice are not limited to the southern United States. And and I hope that uh, I hope that if you only ever meet two Alabamians and me and Josh Cox here are two of them, that you understand that there's a lot more like us than there are of people, you know, like Donald Trump, like Ted Cruz and things like that. Yeah, I I totally agree. And the only other thing I'll say is I'll talk to you guys next week. Ryan, you too. Um, (laughs) Josh Michaels, it was a good run. I'm sorry that you lost your spot as co-host. Maybe just stay in Australia too while you're at it. That seems like a pretty good life. It it looks good on you. (laughs) All right, you know what? (laughs) We'll just take it back to thanks for being here. (laughs) And I hope that you enjoyed it. Have a good week. Ahoy ho. Blue Hawaii. Now let me take a wild guess here. You're Brett, right? Correct. I thought so. Um, I got into Yale Law School. Check out the big brain on Brad. That's the number one law school in the country. You're a smart motherfucker, that's right. I had no connections there. I got there by busting my tail. Looks like me and Vincent caught you boys at breakfast. Sorry about that. Beer. I still like beer. Mm. You mind if I have some of your tasty beverage to wash this down? Sometimes I had too many beers, but I did not drink beer to the point of blacking out, and I never sexually assaulted anyone. Yes, you did! Yes, you did, Brett! He is warm, friendly, unassuming. He's the nicest person. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration?